Scripture is coming from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, in any affliction with the comfort for which our, we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so do Christ we share abundantly and comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort and your experience when you are patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, and for our affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we have received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he would deliver us on him. If, excuse me, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us be, by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. The word of the Lord. Morning. I have some uh, some friends who are passing some uh, things out that you will be tested over later, <laughs> <laughs> or you can fill them out and participate in a research project, whichever you'd prefer. <laughs> Leo laughed at that. <laughs> So I love the end of Star Wars Episode 4, which is titled A New Hope, right? It was the first Star Wars film that came out in 1977. And just in case you were one of the four or five people who has never seen that movie, I will uh, try to uh, go over the main characters and the plot. So we'll all be on the same page. So the evil galactic empire's Death Star has gone operational and has already been used to destroy an entire civilization. It's about to be used to destroy the base of the Rebel Alliance, which will be an absolute disaster because it will put the entire franchise into disarray. <laughs> <clears throat> The rebels, who have, been, have virtually no chance to win this war against the powerful empire, have received plans hidden in a droid, R2-D2. 
escorted by another droid, C-3PO, who delivered Princess Leia's message. Help me, one, uh, Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi, you're our only chance. I hope you're getting this. If you've seen the movie, yeah. All right. These droids are protected by an elder Jedi Knight, Obi-Wan Kenobi. These are not the droids you seek. <laughs> and he works this Jedi mind trick on uh, <clears throat> a couple of unsuspecting stormtroopers who I must admit are not the sharpest crayons in the Crayola box. <laughs> they go like, duh, what the, uh, these are not the droids we seek. So <clears throat> the secret schematics of the Death Star show a flaw in the Death Star's central reactor. All the rebels have to do is just fly through a thousand ships and uh, <clears throat> into the center of the Death Star, down a tube right into the central reactor and shoot a photon a torpedo into it. No problema. Luke Skywalker, along with 100 uncredited movie extras, <laughs> have volunteered for this suicide mission for a large amount of money. They tried to get the uh, rogue smuggler Han Solo and his Wookiee companion, Chewbacca, <laughs> okay, <laughs> to join the mission, but Han refused. Hope is at a low ebb, but they still have a goal. They have the will to carry out this suicide mission, and they know the way that they have to fly in order to make it work. They have a kind of a hope. The rebels launch the suicide mission, and in the battle, sure enough, all of the movie extras that make up the rebel fleet are wiped out. And only Luke and two other pilots remain. And then, as if that weren't discouraging enough, Darth Vader shows up, the real bad dude. <sighs> Luke, I am your father. <clears throat> and he takes off after the three planes, and then there are two. And then there's one, just Luke, and as he is about to deliver the death blow, well, all that Luke can hope for is a miraculous uh, uh, rescue. Okay, well, I guess we should leave this story now and get on with the sermon, right? Because, you know, I, you know, I, I am detecting a slight amount of uh, hostility. <laughs> <clears throat> I am a trained observer of human behavior, after all. <clears throat> so perhaps I'll finish this for my, uh, my health. So uh, does Luke get this last minute just in the nick of time miracle? Of course he does. Han Solo swoops down and blows Darth Vader off into, into space. And Luke is able to destroy the Death Star, and they live happily ever after until The Empire Strikes Back, May of 1980. And the franchise, with nine 
additional movies and several billion dollars in action figures uh, is now secure. Luke has done it again. <clears throat> so there's a lot about hope in that movie. I mean, it's not titled A New Hope for, for no reason. There were, for instance, three types of hope, what I call hope for the holy, hope for the hurting, and finally, hope for the healthy, although there's not a whole lot of hope for the holy in that movie, actually. So all of them, for Christians, are about the same thing, and they're about putting our hope in a trustworthy God. Hope is not something we do, it's something we have. We have it because it's been given to us as a gift or because situations have built it in us. One thing hope is good for is facing disasters. Jamie Ayton, friend of mine, is a disaster expert. Jamie is the founder and director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. Jamie has fought through his own disasters. He has uh, had stage four colon cancer and is a survivor. He tells his story in a book that he wrote called A Walking Disaster, What Katrina and Cancer Taught Me About Faith and Resilience. Well, I met Jamie when he was uh, just graduating uh, from his PhD program, and he was just hired new assistant professor at the University of Southern Mississippi in 2005. He asked me what he needed to do to succeed as an academician. And my answer was very direct. I just said, just publish like crazy, win awards for teaching, and land a federal grant, ideally aimed at contributing or combining underserved populations, churches, and rural settings. I didn't have any idea how prescient that advice would be. So Jamie and Kelly were in church six days after moving to Mississippi, 2005, September. Hurricane Katrina was approaching. The pastor solemnly said, now, if y'all remember Camille, referring to a previous hurricane, then you know what I'm about to say. Kelly turned to Jamie and said, Who's Camille? Jamie said, Probably New Testament. <laughs> Pastor was referring, of course, to Hurricane Camille, which uh, had devastated Mississippi coastal area back in 1969. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina was about to hit the Louisiana-Mississippi coast, and Jamie not only survived Katrina's fury, but he landed a federal grant. It studied disaster preparedness in rural Mississippi African-American churches. Perfect. Now, <clears throat> the first time I saw Jamie present the results of his research, he stood in front of a PowerPoint slide, and on it, was the Chicago Cubs logo. At that time, the Cubs had not won a pennant in 71 years, had not won a World Series in 108 years. Jamie never looked at the slide. He just said, 
I was born and raised in Chicago, and for some reason, from my earliest years on, I was drawn to disasters. <laughs> I don't know what the formative influence was. Hope involves the motivation to manage debilitating disaster and despair. Jamie had his share of despair. At 35, with three daughters, he had stage four colon cancer. But Jamie had a secret weapon, his Christian faith. In an interview with religionnews.com, Jamie said, Hope helped me realize that if everything doesn't turn out okay, it doesn't mean that everything has gone wrong. I had hope in God that ultimately my pain and suffering would be redeemed, whether in this lifetime or the next. Well, God did redeem Jamie's pain and suffering in this lifetime. And Jamie's been a great blessing to the world ever since. His family, church, community at Wheaton College, and praying friends all over the world, walked with him through his health struggles, and Jamie was healed. And he's helped people to stave off despair through countless natural and personal disasters. And to top it off, in 2016, his beloved cubbies did it. They won the pennant and the World Series. There are three kinds of hope. The first is hope in God, which I call hope for the holy Hope for the holy has two parts. One part is having an ultimate hope in God's redemption called eschatological hope. It's hope about how the end times turn out. This has been a major message about uh, or throughout Ecclesiastes in that sermon series while there's no way for humans to live a meaningful life under our own power, because life is hebel, life is hebel, but still there's hope. As Kevin observed in every sermon, and as Paige Savino pointed out last week, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is birth and life and death and resurrection and promise to come again in victory is our eschatological hope. If we have eschatological hope, then the best outcome is that we'll translate that into a second type of hope in God, a kind of a moment-by-moment -moment reliance on God's redemptive power, and I'll call that God walks with us hope. You can see how good I am with naming new types of hope. Okay. There, there, we know that God walks with us regardless of whether we see changes in our situation or not. And this is not a given. Remember Jamie Ayton. Jamie struggled through the negative repeated tests he went through, the ups of good doctor reports, the downs of poor test results. But he hung in there with a belief that God is and will be triumphant and it filtered into his daily life. Charlotte Whitfleet from Hope College, who will be one of our deep dive speakers, uh, 
led a team of scientists and theologians who created what she called the uh, eschatological hope scale. So I gave you a copy of that on the handout that you have, although it's kind of printed in disguise on the back because I was trying to get everything on one sheet of paper. I gave you, uh, okay, the God walks with us hope has not really been measured by psychologists yet. We see it in Job's utterance, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And we see it in the three of Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to worship him, and they, shall we say, demurred. They said, our God is able to deliver us, O king, but regardless, we will not worship you. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar did not like to be sassed. He probably was from southern Babylon. <clears throat> he ordered them thrown into a furnace so hot that it killed the people shoving them in. Then observers started to see things. Like, wait, what? Who's that fourth dude walking in the fires of affliction with them? This is a liberal paraphrase, I might say. <clears throat> In the hot spots of our life, God walks with us in the furnace. In the joyful time of our lives, God walks with us. And in those humdrum times of our lives, God, what? Walks with us. Hope for the holy is this. God is always and always will be walking with us. Lily McPherson said last week that Ecclesiastes had reminded her that there are seasons in life and that we're best off if we don't try to live in the past season in life, but to try to live in the present season. A great takeaway from Ecclesiastes, and in whatever season we're in, God walks with us. However, we have to admit, there are times when we struggle to see God at work, walking with us. And yet, we know that God is working, whether we see it or not. God's hard at work. God is revealed in our times of closeness with the Lord. And God comforts us when we need to be comforted through the Spirit, and through other believers. When we connect with Jesus in the midst of our pain, as psychologist and pastor Sung Young Tan, who was also going to be one of the hope speakers, says, life is no longer awful. We are awe-filled. How do we hope? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Paul says in Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. For Christians, hope for the holy is at the Christian foundation of both hope for the hurting and hope for the healthy. So now that we've looked at this foundation, let's consider those other types of hope. A second type of hope is a persevering hope. I call that hope for the hurting. You have a scale on your uh, handout that uh, shows the persevering hope scale that uh, can allow you to assess your perseverance. So let me be clear. While acute pain is a gift, which tells us things like get your hand off of that hot stove eye, you can damage it, Chronic pain, I do not believe, is a gift, nor is it a present from a loved one. Chronic pain is an opportunity for a loved one to be there with us and help us move forward. Yeah, Jamie Aiton's family was there with him every step of the way. Jamie's work colleagues were there. Even friends like me that were at a great distance from him were there for constant support. Good can come from chronic pain, yeah. We can derive comfort, learn life's lessons, build faith, and sometimes experience healing from chronic pain, yeah. But I'm convinced that chronic pain and suffering are not from God, yet we will all experience pain and suffering at various times in our life. So how should we respond? Well, I went I heard a sermon that suggested that humor and laughter can help us deal with pressure and suffering. The sermon recommended, practically, that we find something to laugh about each day. So I saw this friend at a Sunday night dance that I was at that same night. She was in her 70s, and I asked her, you know, have, have you found anything to laugh about in the last few days? And she thought a minute, and she said, well, I had a mammogram Friday. and saw something pretty funny there. I tried to kind of stifle my, uh, my laugh there, but then she went on and she said, it was actually a Bible verse taped to the mammogram machine, 2 Corinthians 4, 8a. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. (laughs) I could tell you an anecdote, but I won't right here. Well, that little joke aside, chronic psychological pain and suffering can be just as long-lasting and painful as physical pain. Life can be the cause of our pain and suffering. My son Jonathan, who lives in Minneapolis, says, there isn't any bad weather, only bad gear. I appreciate that Minnesotan sentiment, but I got some news from the other 49 states. Hey, Jonathan, there actually is bad weather. But this is the good news. There's comfort in the bad weather when we use the gear that's available. Most of us don't like bitter cold. In fact, most of us hate bitter cold, but 
rather than give way to our hatred of the cold, we can put on a comforting coat and continue to enjoy life and find activities that we come to love. Okay, now that was my attempt at a subtle metaphor, and that is that cold is like suffering, and the comforting coat is God's comforter, the Holy Spirit. And with that, you can see why I'm not a poet dealing in metaphors all the time. We also know that a loving God can produce great things from cold weather suffering that we're required to endure, as we see from Romans 8, 8, 28, and 29. But when God does not deliver us from our suffering, we can be assured he has joined us in it. He's the fourth man in the fire with us, or in this case, the freezer. We can thus walk with him about our suffering, uh, with him, and talk with him about our sufferings, and see whether he wants to reveal anything to us about the situation and our response to it. Does God want to walk, work in us? How does God want to work through us into others' lives? In fact, we're all subject to many temptations that beckon us. We look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken us except has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can hear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, we usually think of temptations... <clears throat> as about things that bring illicit pleasure to indulge in too many sweets, too much ice cream, too much sloth, seek sexual gratification in illicit ways. But temptation can also be a lot broader. We can be tempted to give up, to complain, to grumble, to blame God, to ramp up unforgiveness, to dampen out flourishing. Paul said, when you're tempted... And that means if we at times give way to anxiety, grumbling, and complaining, then we're human. We will be tempted. Usually God provides the will to wait. He provides a way out or a way to endure. If we persevere, we might find dignity in our difficulties, strength in our suffering, purpose in our pain. Of course, we don't always find such lofty benefits from suffering. Sometimes we find survival is about all we can do with suffering. But Scripture tells us that we can experience character growth if we persevere in the Lord. Paul writes us in Romans 5, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's not just scripture that encourages us, of course. 
we also experience companionship in our calamities. And that companionship comes from other believers, as I mentioned in describing Jamie's experience. But the companionship also comes from God, and both can lead us to trust God in our troubles. Jesus Christ is our hope, Christ in us, the hope of glory. When we're suffering, we try to fix it. We try hard to fix it. When we're suffering, God works in us, in us, with us, and if we let him, works through us to comfort others. Look at what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 3, and 4, which were on the screen earlier. Praise be to God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So how do we comfort others who need comforting? When we talk to someone who is in a place of brokenness, our natural tendency as compassionate humans, magnified because we are compassionate Christians, is to quickly try to fix the brokenness. But as counselors know, we rarely can fix another person's brokenness. Consider three pieces of advice from counselors about how to talk to someone struggling with hope. First, resist the urge to give well-meaning advice or even offer what to you might be a poignant scripture. Instead, ask yourself or even an, the other person if you feel really adventurous. If I were to give you some kind of uplifting scripture right now, what might I say, quote to you? Often they will tell you exactly the scripture that you are going to tell them. It's not that they don't know. Second, instead of advice that you hope will fix the broken pieces, listen. Help the person express their emotional pain. And as they do, take that pain seriously. And third, after you've listened and heard and expressed appropriate empathy, you might say, I'm so sorry this is happening. What can I do to help? These three simple things help because they help restore hope. So quick review. Hope for the holy, that is hope in God, is the basis for hope for the hurting. And now, the third type of hope, goal-focused hope, which I'm going to call hope for the healthy. Even though almost every sermon or book or podcast or TEDx talk is about hope for the hurting, we don't have to be hurting and suffering to have hope or to struggle with a loss of hope. Hope is also for the healthy. Psychologist Rick Snyder, who was affectionately called Dr. Hope while he was alive, wrote extensively on goal-oriented hope. And he said that there were two parts that were necessary in order to reach goals. One is a sense of agency or willpower, an I can do this or we can do this type of attitude. But 
we can have all the willpower in the world to fix a troubled marriage or turn a work situation around. And yet if we don't know how to do it, if we don't know the ways, then we won't have goal-oriented hope. We therefore need a sense of the pathways to change. Both agency and pathways are needed for goal-oriented hope. So let me just assume that you have the willpower to change if you need to change. Um, and let's focus for just a second on ways to change. First, we can pursue hope humbly. In Luke 8 and Mark 5, the gospel writers tell us about the woman who had an issue of blood that no doctor had been able to help with. But she had goal-oriented hope, even though she wasn't a picture of health. So what did she do? Well, first, she had tried the ways of the world, doctors, and they didn't help her, although most of the times they do. But she knew that Jesus was, for her, the way. And knowing this gave her a sense of agency that she could do something meaningful to affect her own health. And she thought, here's the way. I will just touch the hem of the master's cloak. And so she had to lower herself to touch the hem of the coat and come in humility. She leaned low and touched that hem and was healed. Our friendship support network within the church and also outside the church is a second means of healing and hope. As the man whose friends lured him through the roof that Jesus discovered, God often works through people to help us heal. And third, sometimes God acts directly to build hope in us and to heal us. The woman was at the place, this woman was at a place of brokenness. She had come to the end of her rope, and there she found Jesus. She went directly to Jesus, and he healed her. But God is also active with people who are not suffering so that he can bring about love and health and see it spread around. So God is active with the healthy, bringing them into a closer relationship with him and with others. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Think back through your life to the times of growth in the Lord, as John asked us to do. Often, it's those stories of God's grace working in us when we're healthy, not just when we're suffering, or when we're reaching out to God even, that build a foundation for hope. Those experiences can also buoy up hope for the hurting and hope for the holy when we need it. All right, one final thought. Remember Han Solo in Star Wars, Episode 4. He swoops in and turns things around at the last moment. There's a lesson there for us, and we see that lesson in Exodus 15, 20 through 25. God has just brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Then 
they are attacked by the Egyptians. God uses Moses to part the waters and save the Israelites. So let's pick up at verse 20 of Exodus 15. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. They had a really good women's group. It's almost as good as at Christ's prayers, I might say. <clears throat> Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and rider has been hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. And therefore, it was named Marah, bitter waters. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw the tree into the waters, and the waters became sweet. In six verses, the Israelites went from praise to problem to prayer to plan. Praise at God's victory at the Red Sea, problem at the bitter water of Marah, prayer when Moses cried out to God, and plan when God showed Moses what he, had, what he had done prior to Moses' birth, he had planted a tree for this very time. But Moses first had to act. He had to turn to God and cry out. And then he had to act again. He had to listen. And then he had to act again. He had to believe enough to look for the tree that God had been, was showing him. And then he had to act again. He had to cut down the tree that God had prepared long ago and throw it into the bitter water. Han Solo saved Luke, but we know that Han did not appear out of thin air any more than the sweet water tree miraculously grew in an instant. Han had been traveling through space to be with the rebels long before Luke saw Han's work. God planted the sweet water tree long before it was needed. Jesus is our hope. As God planned before time was created. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Amen.